Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. Podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who novelizations from the 1970s and 80s. Those long ago days where, if you missed Doctor Who on TV, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the target novelization. So, join us, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth, and with a wheezing, groaning sound, We'll discuss Doctor Who on Target. Hello and welcome to Doctor Who on Target. This is David in Chelmsford. And this is Greg in Swansea. And this week we're going to be reviewing Oxygen by Jamie Mathiason. So, Greg, I know you're a bit keen on this one, so I'm going to let you start. Could you give us your initial thoughts, please? Well, David, I think I'll sum up this one by it's been the first episode of this season where I have run upstairs to my wife after it and said, that was great. That was proper Doctor Who. It's the first time I, I've had that feeling. Um, you know, with the pilot, I felt rather, you know, a bit let down and a bit, um, it seemed a bit jaded. It left me. Um, this, a smile, I, I really enjoyed part of smile, but it still didn't give me the full Doctor Who hit, you know. But, um, and again, last um, last week's one, we both really enjoyed, which is a knock knock. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, but I, I still wasn't, um, you know, absolutely enthralled by it. But this one, I sort of had that uh, punch the air feeling after it. I felt this is proper Doctor Who. I really, really liked it. Um, what about you, David? What about your initial thoughts? I agree. It absolutely had a classic Doctor Who feel about it. I think we said last week we were very pleased to see Nardle go on an adventure. Yes. And I really felt that he contributed to the story. We said last week that he was like the Doctor's Batman, not a superhero, but his sort of servant. Yes. And I think that role has been developed. In fact, it was an episode very low on what I call callbacks and other people call Easter eggs. But the one that there was that I noticed was the Doctor told a lie about something called the fluid link. Ah. And he said the TARDIS couldn't move without it. And Nardole possessed the fluid link. And, of course, the first Doctor told that lie in the second story, The Daleks, when he wanted to go and explore the Dalek city. Absolutely. It was a lovely connection with the past. It was, wasn't it? It was lovely. The episode wasn't rich in nods to Doctor Who past, except it had an absolutely classic Who construction to it. Right. Which I really enjoyed. So do, do you mean by the pacing of it and, and the scenario? or There was a definite air of menace mm. about what was happening. And there were definite scares there, although not too scary, obviously. Yeah. It was like The Walking Dead in space. It was yeah. like Plague of Zombies, which is the old Hammer film, when they're about a handful of zombies, and that's classed as a plague. Now, this one really <laughs> did have a proper plague 
of zombies on the spaceship, and they were frightening. They were. I thought and they were. And there were consequences for encountering them. Oh, no. And this... I thought that was good. It was absolutely, it was it was great. And I, I completely agree with you with all the classic Who scenarios. Um, I love that fluid link mention because, of course, that fluid link really is, it's it's iconic in the world of Doctor Who because mm. that is the one which kick-started the Doctor's um, appetite for exploration and adventure. And by putting his companions, if you like, into danger, that, that need for adventure and exploration and of course we we know that at the end of um the, the daleks you know i don't think there was any problem with the fluid link was there no, oh he lied. he lied he lied he lied and that's what we've had again in this which you say sort of is a throwback to that one yeah i love that um the opening scenes on the space station you know it sort of made me feel i love the helmets the sort of crystal like helmets you know with that glass i thought they were great the zombies were very, very well realised. I thought they were pretty frightening, actually. The way their their heads lolled about to show that they were actually uh, sort of reanimated corpses, if you like. Um, I, re I really liked that. Um, and what struck me, going a little bit deeper into it, what, what really made me feel this week that this was great Doctor Who were some of the things which I was unhappy about with Knock Knock um, were, for example, that, oh, that the, the bit when all the, the kids who died were brought back to life and everything's happy and wonderful. And I think we mentioned in, in our review for that that imagine that had happened in um, Horror of Fang Rock. And I think we both agreed that, it, you know, that would have been disastrous for that story. And of course... It didn't happen in here. You you used the phrase had consequences. And that's what it's gotta have. Though you know, what happened to those people? They died and there was no magic potion, there was no flick of the sonic screwdriver or some magic button to bring them back. They were dead. And and, that, and that's it. And I loved that. I, I think that was you know, it, it was it was it was more fulfilling. It was more not that I want to see people die, of course, but I just felt that is what I like mm. Doctor Who to be, you know, to show that. It's, because if nothing happens to people, if you like if you say, if there are no consequences, if nothing happens, then it, it, it's like, what's the point of the story? It, it, there is no point. Is it, it may as well just be a Dallas moment and say, and it was all a big dream and nothing's actually happened. Well... This didn't do any of that nonsense. It was bang on the nose. The people were dead. Um, there were zombies. They killed you. Um, and we saw a fabulous moment to that with, with Pearl um, Mackie. I actually grew rather, rather fond of her in this episode because I thought she was she was less, um, I don't want to say irritable. She's not irritable, but I, I find I can't get on with this younger people too fast flicking from one thing to the other, you know. And, and what I felt was Pearl was much calmer, uh, more realistic. It was like a, a more in-depth performance, I felt, from her. And I, I loved the way, you know, when the Doctor told her that she's going to... Um, she's going to go through hell, but she is not going to die just to trust him. Have, have I gone too far into the story, David? What, what did you think? I have a little bit, but 
it's no problem. Right. But I want to just quickly roll back and pick mm. up a point because you mentioned the elephant in the room, the sonic screwdriver as a magic wand. Yes. Now, of course, in this one, what I really, really liked is that the Doctor was divorced from his usual gimmickry, the sonic screwdriver, the TARDIS. Yes. And he actually had to use his brain. Oh, which is yes. something he seldom does in New Who. Yes. He had to work through the problem and, as you say, ask people to trust him. Yes. And going right to the end, there was that seeming betrayal of everybody in the ship. But I sort of knew how it would resolve, that he was calling the machine's bluff and that the machine would place a greater value on the spaceship staying intact than on their lives. Right. And I, I did suspect that's how it would uh, resolve itself. But I also want to come back to the point you made. Now, the point you made about there being a, a permanent death for people, that was largely true, except in the case of Bill. Did you ever have any, what would be, anxiety that she might not come back? And um, when she did come back, did it give rise of feelings of being cheated or were you able to accept it in the context of the story that's that's really interesting yeah of course you're right that it it, it wasn't true for bill of course that she she died but we were forewarned by the doctor of this so i felt we i felt there was no cheating going on if you like we weren't being led to believe that she was actually dead and then she was going to be brought back to we knew that she wasn't going to die because he, he he told us he told us so when he was talking to her you're not going to die he reassured her but mm. the the um effectiveness of the makeup and the the sort of whole scenario did give that bit of danger to it i think you know you there was a little a free song of maybe something's going to to happen here which i so I, I I felt that was justified within the context of the, of the story very much. Yes, yeah. I think you make a very good point there. It's not cheating if you're clear with the audience that it's part of a bigger plan. Hmm. It yeah. is cheating if you wave the magic wand and everybody comes back, which is why I said last week. I, not quite sure how we got onto it, but I said that the resurrections happened because the character was penitent. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure if you were 100% bought into that reasoning, but I quite liked it when I said it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you're absolutely right. It was signposted for us that we needed to have faith in the Doctor because he knew what was happening. We didn't know how she was going to cheat death. Mm, mm. That became clear later in the episode yeah and, and i didn't think either because um it's interesting uh, just before we started recording you sort of threw me a curveball because you you'd sort of um i think you'd looked at the story a bit deeper than i actually had because of course you you pointed out what, what did you say is the actual um the well i said it was a very brave story to transmit during a general election campaign yeah. because it was obviously a denouncement of capitalism it was capitalism in space. It was the expendability of human labor and the protection of the money-making mechanisms of, of the space station and the machine, wasn't it? It was, it, it was as if the workers were the least valuable cog in the money-making wheel for whatever the company was. And I thought it was a denouncement of capitalism. And as I say, I thought it was a very brave 
storyline to take forward in the current climate and at this current time when we're all facing a choice of how we wish the next five years to go. That's really interesting, actually, because, yeah, as you were talking about that, then I I completely agree with you. You know, it it is coming across as um, very much um, a denouncement of capitalism and the way that, um, as you said, you know, you you gave a lovely metaphor, I think, of the humanity being the the expendable cog in the way did you say yes no the least value of the least value that's right that's right and most replaceable absolutely and and that was really encapsulated by the doctor with the speech he gave uh, when he was when he'd figured out what was going on and of course that was core to his plan of um threaten the property the humans are expendable nobody cares about the but the property the the money making machine has to be protected, and of course he gambled all their lives on mm. that being true. And of course they didn't have much life expectancy anyway. And of course, the evil capitalist company was selling them the oxygen yes. and was stopping the supply of any other oxygen to them. Because when the TARDIS could generate oxygen, yeah. it, they got separated from it. It seemed to get flushed out. It yeah. seemed to be spelled. So they had you know however many breaths it was in those suits it's it's sort of a bit it's an extreme version of having to pay your train fare to attend a job isn't it yeah yeah. you have to expend in order to work yes yeah but in this case you had to actually buy the means of survival it was a horrendous system yeah it is horrendous working conditions they had yeah it's it's really interesting and 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 looking at it in this context um it really takes me back we we've mentioned about this being much more like classic who i mean the pacing was lovely it wasn't frenetic was the word i was looking for earlier it wasn't frenetic pearl mackie's performance wasn't frenetic it was more um pronounced and mature and and had more depth to it you know and that's what i loved and what it takes me back to in this story and the more we're talking about uh the the capitalism as we're here it's it's almost like the sort of classic john pertwee story when barry letts was the producer and we had these tales which green death yeah the green death absolutely david the monster of paladin it's not it's not just, you know, it's not like taking a particular political stance or that. You're talking about morality. You're talking about what's right, what's wrong, you know. what, And that's what I love about that. But it's not being preached at you as somebody's morality. This is right, this is wrong. This is, this, this is what, you know, is being human is about. That's what I feel yeah. is being shown in here, you know. And I love that because it's done so well in this. I mean... It, the story is great if you just want to go you know big zombie monsters coming at you they're going to kill you scared fabulous i love that you've also got the, the the depth and the commentary on the capitalism which is really really good as well but also what i found worked so well in this this week uh, something i think we we talked about with thin ice where it explored racism and i said mm-hmm. although i i loved Sarah Dollard's first episode for Doctor Who I thought it was rather um, plonked in and clunky and um, it didn't work I I thought it 
It lacks subtlety. It lacks subtlety, yes. Now, this, I thought, was done fabulously because, Mm. of course, do you remember, you're probably going to say the the bit that I'm thinking of, which is when, and I don't know his name, and I do apologise for that, but the blue guy, (laughs) Mm. she comes in and sort of gives an expression going, whoa, you know, and uh, he points out that she's being racist. We've rescued a racist. That's right. She says, I'm sorry, but it's usually me on the receiving end. And yes. <laughs> and then she makes a, a point later saying, I am not prejudiced. Yes. As if she has, you know, she feels, she feels the perception that she may be diminishes her as a person. Yes. And she has to desperately make amends for it. Yes. But yeah. it was, it was a funny exchange. It, it was. was. It was very light touch. It made a point every bit as strong as the point being made by Sarah Dollard. Yeah. But it just made it more intelligently. Exactly, exactly. It was within the scope of the story. It wasn't suddenly switching scenes. You know, it didn't take any of the tension away. It played beautifully. I felt it was... It was. I mean, I I completely agree with you. You know, it was every bit as strong, I think even stronger, because of that... You know, uh, the way that it, it was it was put there so effortlessly within the story. You know, I think there's his comment when he turned around to her when um, uh, Bill said, um, she said, I'm usually the one who's the subject of racism. or, or along, And he said, um, really, why? And of course, you know, it's quite funny because he can't, he couldn't see it clearly what the problem was. He he was, you know, she's a human. Like, what what's the difference? And. I, I, I love that. It was done so much better. Mm. Um, it was. It was very, as I say, it was light touch, but very effective, more effective. Yeah, yeah. Could I just say, I've gone right back to the beginning a bit now. I love the bit mm. in the lecture theatre where the oh, dog... Yeah. Did you like that, David? Oh, yeah. Space Wants to Kill You. Oh, it was... Because we started with the classic Star Trek in- introduction, didn't we? Yeah. What do you think of that, it's using that? Full of... Well, I was just saying it was a sort of a counterpoint to the idea of space being big and exciting and explorable. Yeah. You know, space, the final frontier. Yeah. That's that's encapsulated in that phrase. And, of course, the Doctor wanted to point out in really quite gory detail <laughs> that space wanted to kill everyone. <laughs> and it was, it was funny, but it was also true. Yeah, it was great. It I- and it was quite funny as well when when he stopped, you know, with a sort of flourish, with this, um, you know, lovely description of vivid vivid imagery of what what happens to your body and blood boi- mm. boiling and so forth. And of course, when the student says, um, "Oh, excuse me, but, but what has this got to do with crop rotation?" <laughs> and uh, I don't know what he said, but it, it was just a really lovely counterpoint to it. You know, it was done so well and. I, I love that. But we didn't have too much of the comedy throughout the story. It kept his tension. And I believe that Jamie Mathiason used to be a stand-up comic as well. Did he really? So if anybody would know how to write a gag, you'd think it would be him. Oh. And he did. But and another bit that I do want to mention at the beginning, because I thought it was great, Yeah. you had the ridiculous counterpoint of the two characters in space. One of them trying to enter into a meaningful relationship with the other one who couldn't hear. Yes. Because there was a, a technical malfunction 
and she said something along the lines of i'd like to have your baby yeah which was very very touching but in a bananas atmosphere of being in space yeah and then somehow when one of them was zombified and the other one wasn't there was there was a, a sort of a full circle where the character who wasn't the zombie thanked the other one for giving the oxygen giving the life oh, yes. and i thought that was i thought that was really nice i can't quite put my finger on why it was nice i suppose it was because the dialogue was so utterly ridiculous in the setting and yet it was touching and it was human i guess it was yeah. it was the nice moment between there were there were two nice moments between the characters it was like a perfectly balanced seesaw at each end of the episode perfectly balanced on the fulcrum yes it was nice that they did a callback to what had happened in that first scene yeah. and actually showed that the love was reciprocated. Yes. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, it was really nice, actually. That's, I'm so glad you pointed that one out because I, I'd forgotten about that um, that balance, as you say, mm -hmm. which has come back to, yeah, it was mm -hmm. a lovely touch. And, and the, the other thing I would mention, because you've mentioned it, the pacing of the episode, mm. it wasn't frenetic. And it was all tied into the subject matter because it was absolutely critical that when oxygen was charged by the breath and it was finite, yeah. that nobody hyperventilated. Yes. And so it had that lovely calm, that calmness about it, except there was nothing about the situation they were in that was conducive to being calm. Yes, yeah. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. That came across really well as well. You know, breathe in through the nose, out through the <laughs> mouth, whatever. Yes. Calm yeah. you down. And, and there were these zombies were coming after them. <laughs> and they couldn't actually react instinctively because that would kill them quicker than the zombies could. Yeah, yeah. It, it was what great. A, yeah. What an absolute, what would you call that? That's Hobson's choice. That's, yeah. that's a conundrum. That's whatever yeah yeah it's, it's just the sheer really, I, the sheer irony of it idea a really good idea yeah, yeah to have so to have them under such intense threat from so many angles yeah yeah and for the doctor also because we need to talk about it as well because the doctor at this time we believe has made a sacrifice for bill mm. because he lent her his space helmet because oh. her space helmet didn't work and, and had to go out into the vacuum of space unprotected. And it seems to have resulted in his blindness. Now, this is is really fascinating because, yeah, that's quite... Uh, it was a really touching scene, that. And seeing the Doctor's eyes, what had mm. happened to them when he looked up. And, Those milky and, eyes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that you're going to say a bit about that, David, but before you... Can I, can I just say... It, it really came across so well. And Nardol, or the character of Nardol, you know, again, it was so well played. He led um, Bill so gently through and he seemed so genuinely concerned mm. for the Doctor, you know. I I think Matt Lucas's acting is, is um, it's just really impressed me, you know. It's, it's subtle. It is. It's very subtle. Yeah, yeah. It's very subtle and um, he is definitely an asset to the TARDIS team. I think we've said that repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. And it was nice for him to get some screen time. Oh, yes, absolutely. What What do you think then, David, of that um, 
of the fact that the Doctor is... Well, we are told that he's now... We're told he's telling us, but the Doctor tells fibs. Ah. But he did He did give the impression of being blind. He did, yeah. But I was just thinking all through literature, because you remember last time I made a half-developed point about the daughter being the tree. Oh, yeah. And, and I liken this to the Lady of Shalott having to live her life vicariously through looking in a at a reflection of Camelot and yeah. looking in the mirror and deciding she can no longer live like that and turning round, seeing things not reflected and being cursed and shriveling. Yeah. Well, this week I thought, ooh, blindness occurs many times in literature, so I'm sure that this has come from somewhere. And usually a tragic fate in a character, a tragic fate bestows status. Mm. And it does elevate the Doctor's status because he says, imagine how unbearable... I'm going to be when I sort this one out without eyesight or whatever he says. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, where did this occur? We know Homer, the blind poet. Yes. He yeah. was he was quite he was a um well he wasn't really a, he he wasn't really a person, was he? But we assume he's he's blind and he appeared in the Myth Maker's book oh. and we saw him well, we read about him losing his eyes. But then I thought, no, it's a bit like the character of Oedipus. You know Oedipus Rex? You yeah. said my Lady of Shalott reference. You said, ah, that figures because the writer is influenced by ancient Greek theatre, was it? Or oh, yes, of course, yes. Oedipus Rex, Sophocles, is where it all starts. And we know that Oedipus does a couple of unfortunate things along the lines of marrying his mother. Yeah and uh, murdering his father. Yeah. And when he atones for his sins at the end of the play, he puts his own eyes out. Oh. And I thought, at what point is the Doctor choosing to suffer? Right. At what point has he volunteered for this tragic fate? Because I thought, ooh, is the only thing that's going to cure his blindness the regeneration? Yeah. His yeah. eyes come back? Yeah. I'm assuming his eyes do come back at some point. Well... But I thought, well, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's punishing himself yeah, for yeah. something that he's done. And I wondered if it was tied into imprisoning whatever that is in the vault. I could be talking absolute nonsense, of course. No, no, I, I don't think so. I think there is something along that. Yes, I remember um, exactly what you were saying about um, the writer of Knock Knock, wasn't it? Um, yes, he was influenced very much by basing his stories on, on Greek myths. And I wonder with the, um, you see, with the blindness, the two which stand out to me are Jane Eyre, where Mr. Rochester becomes blind after mm -hmm. he realizes that what the way he's treated um uh, he's treated Jane Eyre is mm -hmm. wrong so and that's a sort of punishment i suppose mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. or the way he's treated his first wife as well like, mm -hmm. i'm not sure but that was but also of course king lear now ah oh, absolutely well the two things are related aren't they because while the characters can see, they don't see what's before them. Yes. And it takes being robbed of Gloucester's eyesight and Lear's sanity yeah. for them to actually see things as they are. There's a, the most horrendous scene in King Lear where Gloucester's eyes are taken out. Oh. I think it's Cornwall who does it. It doesn't yeah. matter who does it. It's just the hardest thing to watch on oh. stage, isn't it? It's when awful. you just know it's... You know, we all know it's going to happen. Yeah. Out yeah. vile jelly, where is thy luster now, he wow. says. 
Oh, that's I, I remember. Oh, the, you know, the lights have been turned off. Yeah, yeah. Now that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I wonder what, I I wonder the significance of that. Is there going to be something happening there? Is it something the doctors failed to see that now he will be able to? I don't. I think it must be part of a bigger plan. Yeah. Or he's just lying, it and is... the shades are just to deceive somebody that he's less what's the word effective than than he could be because as i say usually blindness brings clarity in literature yes said about mr rochester i don't know as i say there seems to be great status in not having eyesight yes it's really interesting actually it's uh, it's really got me thinking about what the significance of this is going to be because uh I mean, like you say, you know, there's the, the, these um, images and symbols and significances in, in Greek literature, which I think they must be playing on here. They must be. I'm thinking, you know, we've got this because we, we've got we've gone through the story now and we get into the end here. So we left with this scene where he's blind. Mm. Um, they back in they back in his study at the university. Mm. What, what's you know are you feeling anymore we know we know i don't think we're spoiling this for anyone but we know missy is back next week don't we yes because she appeared in the trailer at the very end yes yeah do you think it is missy in there i don't know i i truly don't know i'll be very upset if it is Mm. i will be upset because i will i will view that as the easy path yeah she's turned up somehow yeah I can see the five hundred year diaries back in the the clip, and also the Pope is making an appearance. <laughs> that's a, that's an uh, astonishing uh, one, isn't it? The uh, does I don't know how they're gonna yeah I don't know how they're gonna tie all this together. Well, it, it is a Stephen Moffat written one. Um, it's, it's called Extremis. I'm not quite sure what what I mean. I know if something is done as an extreme, so is it is it. Uh, is that the meaning of it, extremis? I'm not well, it really... must be Latin. Yeah. In extremis usually means done to the absolute, uh, to the utmost. Is that right to me? Yes, that sounds absolutely spot on. Yeah. So I wonder what that is going to be. But um... I was going to say it's a situation of exceptional urgency, according to the Internet. Oh, so really? I think Missy's back and she's causing some sort of galactic meltdown by the inference of that title oh well oh i'm 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 really looking forward to that well i mean you, you say you wonder how they're going to tie it all up but it is a Stephen moffat written episode so we we'll have to prepare ourselves for some um sort of uh intricate weaving of storylines so let's see if we can get our uh, our minds ready for that next week but just for this one um what about a score david You've actually talked me round because I was going to score it lower than Knock Knock, although I was still going to score it highly. Oh, right. I think I gave Knock Knock 8.5. You did. And I think that this absolutely deserves the same mark. Oh, well, that we're we very consistent here because I, straight away I went and scored it on Gallifrey Base afterwards, just a little habit I have, and uh, I gave it 9 out of 10. Right, and uh, I'm I'm sticking with that because uh, you've actually uh, 
I, I mean, I'm not going to increase it, but some of the things you've said has made me appreciate it even more, actually. So, uh, but no, it's an absolutely strong. I keep my tens for, there are very few that I give 10 to, but um, this is a, a really good, strong nine. I'm so happy. Jamie Mathiason is turning to, I hope that's how his name is pronounced, Mathiason. He's turning out to be a bit of a, uh, you know, there have been no problems with any of his stories. He's done three absolute corkers, hasn't he? He's, yes, he's a real asset to the writing team. Yeah, yeah. I hope he stay, comes around for Chris Chibnall's uh, turn on the show anyway. Um, David, so obviously we're going to be reviewing um, Extremists, that's the one, uh, next week as well. But um, can you tell us a little bit about, um, we're going to be putting out a special episode. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, that's right, we are, aren't we? Because we are going to go to the Doctor Who TARDIS tour, the set tour. Yes. And we're also going to go to the Doctor Who experience one last time before it closes its doors. Oh. And so we're going to do a report. Yeah. From both of those outings. Yeah. And we're going to combine it into a special podcast, which we're going to bring you... Hopefully, quite quickly. Yeah, hopefully on the on the on the weekend with a bit of with a bit of luck. We can do that, and it's exciting. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Never been to the Doctor Who studio, so I'm keen oh. to see what's there, and um, should be a great day. Oh well, I'm I'm lucky enough to have done the the set tour once before, and I guarantee you will be very very enthused and happy i think it's uh but we'll, we'll keep uh, we'll keep what we've got to say about that but that hopefully that will be out by the weekend and um david it's been really great chatting about this story and i'm really looking forward to the set tour and to um we're gonna we we well we go into um look around the doctor who experience as well because it's jam-packed with um Doctor Who memorabilia and items from the show, so that's going to be. Uh, we'll find somewhere nice to sit down with a with a latte or something, and uh, we'll tell everybody uh, what we think of that then. But mm. David, thank you very much for the, uh, reviewing that this week, and I'll say uh, goodbye. And uh, David, yes, we'll hope that you'll listen to us next week. Thank you. Please tweet us at Doctor Who on Target. That's Dr. Who on Target, or email us at Doctor Who on Target at gmail.com. That's the end of this episode, and I would like to thank BBC Audio and Penguin Random House for kindly supplying us with preview copies, and to Smerin's Antisocial Club for the use of their version of the Doctor Who theme tune. The biggest thank you goes to you, our listeners. <laughs>